Good morning, we're going to continue with our learning about the, the Yud Gimel Ikarim, and this morning we're going to learn about the seventh Ikar, we're actually in the very, very middle of all of them now, and this is the idea of the Navi and the Nevoah, how the personality of the Navi affects the Nevoah. And this is important because the seventh, uh, we, we spent a little time last week learning about the Yesod of actual Navua itself, the fact that we believe that there is prophecy. Now the question is, is the uniqueness of prophecy? So the way that we, that we describe it over here, in the way the Ramam describes it, we're going to just do a few, few lines in his Pirish Mishnayos. The Ramam says, HaYesod HaShvi'i, the seventh Yesod is Navuas Moshe Rabbeinu. Not just any Nevoah, but the, the Nevoah of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Moshe Rabbeinu stood unique. We should believe that he is the father of all prophets. Whether the ones before him, whether the ones who come after him. They are all tiered below him. He is the most chosen human being. So he, is, he understood more than any human being ever did and more than ever, any human being ever will. That's how, that's how far, far-reaching Moshe Rabbeinu's Nevoah is. That's what the Ramam says. Very, very fascinating. We're not going to go through the details in the continuation of his spiritual Mishnahis right now. The way it's expressed in the Ani Mamin, before we go further, is Ani Mamin Be'mun Shalema. I believe with a great faith. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. One second. So, Murray, Murray, right? I wrote them down. Let me just see if I have it here. One second. Murray actually sponsored today's share. And my, I think I put it on the wrong page here. Do you, do you, mind, just, um, do you mind just giving me a recap? I'm sorry. I think I, I wrote it down last week. Yitzchak ben Moshe Yisrael. So Yitzchak ben Yisrael. Ben Yisrael. Ben Yisrael. Ben Moshe Yisrael. Rivka ben Yaakov Bas. Rivka ben Yaakov Bas. Rivka Bas. Rav Yaakov Dov. Rav Yaakov Dov. That's for Susan's grandma. For Susan's Thank you so much. We thank uh, Mariko and sponsoring Yitzchak mm-hmm. ben Moshe Yisrael and Rivka Bas. Rav Yaakov Dov. Because our learning should be Yitzchak ben on this, um, the on this Yud Ches, the time was the Yotzats were just were so just we just passed them, we just passed them last week. So the Ram, so the the way we said in the Animamim is Animamim Benumon Shalema. I believe with a full faith. Shenavuas Moshe Rabbeinu Olav Hashalom. That Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy, Ha'asa Amitis, it was true. V'shuhu v'shu Ha'ya Av Hanaviim Ha'akod Min Lefonav V'Labay Macharov. He was the father of all prophecy, and in Yigdal we say Loikam and be Yisrael. There will never arise in Israel a prophet like Moshe who, um, who, who uh, looked into and, and had the perspective of God's picture. Which, by the way, we talked about a little bit in the laning today. Is where Moshe Rabbeinu's interaction with Hashem post the breaking of the Luchos and the Kriyas Torah on a, on a fast day is where we talk about Moshe Rabbeinu trying to access the closest he possibly can to, to what, uh, seeing Hashem and Hashem denies him the fullest access which is what we see today. So here, here we have it. And we have to ask ourselves the questions, a few questions that, that come to mind is, you know, why is it so important? Meaning, Moshe, we've been told that Nevoah is, a, prophet, is, is a, a fundamental faith. Okay, that's important. That's great. Why is the, knowing that Moshe Rabbeinu is distinct, Moshe Rabbeinu is unique, so necessary, so important that in fact not only is it a, not only is it a, a mitzvah, it is a yasod, it is a fundamental faith. That's something we have to ask ourselves. And you think... The stakes are low, meaning you think, okay, well, you know, 
you know, if you really don't, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm sure there are other people who are also equally, you know, gifted. Um, the, the reason why we know this is not so, not so, we know that the stakes are extremely high, is because, how do we know, how do we know that, that making this mistake is, is, is a, a greatly punishable crime? Because Miriam made the mistake. Right, Miriam made the mistake herself. We see that if you, if you just turn the page to uh, the end of Parshish Ba'aloischa, by Midbar Yud Beis, we know that in fact Miriam speaks to Aaron, Moshe, and she says, and they said, Look, you know, it's a free world over here. God spoke to us too. Why, why is he special? And Rashi and the Midrashim explained that what had happened was that Moshe had separated permanently from his wife and they said, why is he so special? We're also special. We're, we're also spoken to by God. That doesn't mean to say it interrupts our marital life. Right? So therefore, this is the, the question they had. So they said, we believe in prophecy. We are prophets. But how can, we, how can Moshe Rabbeinu have a unique pedestal? That was the question that they were actually asking. And apparently, by Yishma Hashem, God listened. And Hashem was very upset. And Moshe, then what happens is Hashem appears immediately to, to, um, to Moshe and Aaron and to Miriam. And he sends them out, and he said, and he explains the he explains a very important line. L- take a look at this. In pasuk vayomer shimon adavarai, listen to my words. If you're going to have prophecy, Hashem I appear to you in a vision. I speak to you in, in dreams. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. I'll speak to him mouth to mouth. We're, we're talking about manifest, um, manifest appearance. Uh, he looks at the picture of God. How could you not look at the fear speaking to, to Moses? That's, that's what seems to be um, expressed over here. So apparently, I mean, so then Miriam gets Tzoraz, finishing and ending the conversation, and all of Israel are waiting for Miriam because of her misunderstanding. So, Whatever, whatever this, this, this fundamental belief is, it's very serious. Meaning, Miriam really got it because she misunderstood this, uh, the, this, uh, this element. This, this is what we have over here. So, the, the, now the question is to sort of try to pry this open. We need to like really, really get, a, get a sense of why this is so important. Why was Miriam punished so heavily? What was the mistake over here? By the way, what, 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 is the, what does the Torah tell us about Moshe in this context? He's very humble. So, the interesting thing is, as Barbara pointed out, in, in, embedded in this whole conversation is a unique aspect of Moshe Rabbeinu, and that is in Pasuk Gimel, just suddenly out of nowhere, the narrator tells us, the Torah tells us, Moses was a very humble man. And in fact, we know that the word Anav is misspelled. The word Anav should be spelled I and Nun Yud Vav, and it is only spelled I and Nun Vav, which is in fact one of the places where Moshe Rabbeinu. At the, 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 Midrash, the Midrash says, couldn't come to write about himself that he was humble, because he was writing this from Hashem, so he emitted the Yud, which was an expression of exactly what he was writing, right? He, he couldn't say he was the most humble person, because, you know, like, it's like you pull out your five-star humble card, you know, you, um, you, you know <laughs> how does that work? So, so over here, so Moshe Rabbeinu emitted the Yud, and that expressed exactly what, what, what was said about him, and we have to ask ourselves how that relates to his uniqueness as a prophet. Okay, so that, that, that's, there's, a, there's a lot contained in this, in, in this parasha. Nonetheless, we see that making this mistake, you know, we, we, sometimes we ask ourselves, where does the Rambam come up with this? You know, where did the Rambam pull these 13 th- 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 Nikarim? 
This one is very easy to see because the Torah tells us explicitly, meaning this is so fundamental, this is so important. Look, look what happened when you make the mistake. And this is a, it seems to be an innocent mistake, but it is a, a big problem. So let, let's try to understand this. Okay, so this is, this, is the, this is our mission ahead of us. And at the same time, of course, it is true that Moshe Rabbeinu was, in fact, unique in his pedestal, but it was like Yisrael. Right, remember? Apparently there is another Navi who actually does access such power, and that is who we read about? Bilam. So we have to really think to ourselves, as much as we're going to explain the uniqueness of Moshe, then we have to come back and sort of try to explain to ourselves how Bilam fits into that. Okay, so we, 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 there's, a lot, there's a lot ahead of us today to try to, to try to really get a sense and get a handle of. But Let's do... Yes, Bilam Bilam was also only communicated in dreams. You're right, and it seems which is strange, because ultimately, Bilam tells the, the, the Sari Midian and the Sari Moav at the beginning, to stay over at night, which means to say he knows he can only access God through dreams. So how is he similar to Moshe? So, he has, so there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of problems over here in trying to understand this. Let's start at the very beginning. Okay, so we're going to do just a few lines of the Rambam in Hilchos Yisrael Torah. The Rambam himself explains himself more in a more full sense um, when he talks about this uh, prophecy in general. We did a little bit of the Rambam last time, but now we're going to do a little, a little further. The Rambam says the following. Kol HaTvarim in Source 2, Shamarnu. Everything I talked about prophecy, that's what we learned last week. Is true about all prophets, earlier ones, later ones, across the gamut. Except for Moses. What was the prophecy of Moshe as opposed to all the other Nevi'im? So number one is, as we talked about, is Moshe Rabbeinu, he could have a conversation with God right there and then. You know, if somebody asked Moshe a question, he'd step out and there'd be a one-to-one conversation. Other Nevi'im had to wait like Bilam, like Yon was pointing out. He had to wait until he fell asleep or at best had a fit of sorts, you know, and, and in some subconscious state could have a, a vision of God. Um, that's number one. And he quotes the So apparently Moshe could enter the tent of meeting and have a, have a conversation. Yes, you're When Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron together. Good, good question. So, so what happened over here? So in fact, the Drosha Saran, meaning what, what, what is, he's pointing out over here is a very interesting point. Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron and Miriam are all standing together and Hashem appears to them. The Drosha Saran, actually, Rabbeinu Nisim, says the reason that is, this is just a little off a tangent, but it's very important, is the Rabbeinu Nisim says the reason is, is he was pointing out exactly that point. Meaning, a regular human being can't withstand physically the, expre- the experience of, of God communion in a, an awake state. So you know what God did to them? He did exactly that, that they collapsed. You understand? Meaning, meaning they said, well, what's different about Moshe Rabbeinu and, and, and us? After all, we're special. God summons all three of them. What happens? He appears to them. Miriam and Aaron collapse. They, can't, they, they physically cannot a- a- adapt to the experience they're having. And Moshe Rabbeinu is standing. That's, so it was, it was exactly that point that that happened because they couldn't withstand it. Okay. So anyway, so that's, that's number one. Number two, he says, Other Nevi'im experience God through some sort of intermediary. There's something else there in between them and God. <laughs> so therefore what they see is something which needs interpretation. So for instance, let's say Yirmiyahu, the beginning of Yirmiyahu. We're going to be, this, is, this is all very pertinent to the three weeks. Three weeks. Uh, what happens is Hashem says, Yirmiyahu, what do you see? And he says, I see a boiling pot. 
And the pot's boiling on the northern side of the pot. And then God says, what does that mean? And God explains to him. Meaning to say, he sees something, it is an image. And the image needs interpretation. The baker and the butler, right? They're seeing images. The images require interpretation. Why, is there th- why are there three levels of bread on the man's head? Why are the crows eating? All these things. He says, right? Moshe Rabbeinu malach God is explicit with Moshe. There's no room for, for interpretation when it comes to Moses. He sees it without any other interpretations. That's what the Torah says. I see a show in a, in a vision and not in riddles. Okay? Um, and so one second, and anyway, he, he goes on to, to um, other descriptions of the Moshe, of Moshe's experience of Nevoah as opposed to the Nevi'im themselves. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is this so important again? Why, why is the Ramah emphasizing all these details that is the uniqueness of Moshe? Let's think about this for, for basically. Because otherwise the Torah would be his oh, interpretation. So you have to understand. Meaning to say, today, you know, we look at Shakespeare. You know, we read Shakespeare and we see ultimate depths in Shakespeare, right? You know, we go back to our 10th grade teachers who are in love with Shakespeare and the students are all rolling their eyes and, uh, and the teacher is seeing depths after depths of meaning in Shakespeare's words. Now, it happens to be that today there's a lot of research which is done, so, you know, it's very um, common today, where we try to look at the life of the person and say, you know, how would the influence of the Elizabethan times and his interaction with the Queen and all the various other things about uh, which period in his life he wrote this and how that affects <coughs> his writings, right? So the thing is, is can you do that with Moshe Rabbeinu? And the answer is... No, you can't do that. You can't say, well, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, you can imagine his sense of identity and, you know, having been kicked out of his house and growing up as an Egyptian and then he went to Midian and when he was, you know, that, that must have affected him. And that, right, why? Because that means to say that the Torah in some way, the Torah in some way is colored or um, tainted by the experience of the human who is the conduit of it. And that's, that's impossible. Meaning to say that anything else Anything else may have a sense of personality except Torah. Torah Minashamai means to say that our, the Torah that we read is purely the word of God independent of any interpretations, any life experiences of the person who is giving it over. That's very important. That means to say every letter, every tone is in fact God given. There's no, there's no aspect of humanity there. Yes, Barbara. Okay, good. That's a very uh, obviously there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a push and pull over there between what God wanted and what Moshe Rabbeinu was ultimately doing. So, like you know, was his free will, was his free will an expression of himself or not at that point in time? You know, one one has to wonder if that was merely exactly what God was wanting when you're up on the top of the mountain not eating for forty days. You know, so there's there must be a little more there as well. You're right. Point point well taken. So uh, this, this is very important for our belief system. Now you see why this is so important, because the moment you say, oh, Moshe is just like us, and you're saying, well, Moshe is just like us, and we're also humans, and we have interpretations, and we also have needs, and we also have wants, and we have emotions, and so on. Just as a, as a sort of like, a, just to get a sense of this, as a, as a microcosm of this. You know, our Shemona Esra is called Shemona Esra because we have, we, have, we have 18 brachas, right? But there happens to be 19 brachas, and there's a big debate as to what the 19th one is. A lot of discussion historically as, what it, as to what it was. One of the most common explanations is that it was the Vilal Malshinim, which was written about the heretics, predominant at the time of the Romans, and it was written by a person called Shmuel HaKotan. 
Why was it written by Shmuel HaKatan? So the Gemara tells us that Shmuel HaKatan was a unique person, even though he lived around the, the turn of the century BCE, right? So we're talking about 2,000 years ago, which was well over 500 years since the end, four or 500 years since the end of prophecy. Nonetheless, Shmuel, Shmuel HaKatan was unique that he was, first of all, able to have Nevoah to the same level of Shmuel HaNavi. He was a throwback. And also, he was a very humble person. He was Shmuel HaKatan. Why is this necessary? In fact, what was the statement of Shmuel HaKatan in, in, in Pirkei Avos? What does Shmuel HaKatan say in Pirkei Avos? When your enemies fall, don't rejoice. Why was he needed to be the one to institute that bracha in the Shmona Esrei? Because you know what? He's not going to do it after the years. Ah, so let's say, let's say, you know, they come to you and they say, I'd like you, you know, Moish, I'd like you to compose a bracha about bad people. You know what? So what's going to happen is, is now, when, when you're sitting down, you're like, it's the neighbor who plays, and plays music loud at night at 11, you've asked him three times, and he still carries on doing it. It's the guy over there across the street who, you know, and, you, and what's happening? You're going to start composing the bracha, and you're thinking about all those people in your life who've really irritated you, who've really vehemently... So the point is, you can't have a bracha like that. We can't have a bracha in the Shemona Esrei, which is now tainted and got baggage in it. So that's why it had to be a Shmuel HaKad, and that's sort of a microcosm of what's going on over here. Moshe Rabbeinu, we can't have the Torah. The Torah cannot be with any, not even an element, not even a grain of any taint or bias. The Torah is completely, Moshe Rabbeinu is a complete, a comp- a complete conduit. Let's now, let's now move this into, into practical terms. Um, just before we get there, the Ramban, we're not going to read the Ramban inside, but the Ramban in Torah Sa'adam in Shara HaGumul, the Ramban, the Ramban has, and maybe if we have a chance to learn this, this is unbelievable. The Ramban takes all discussions in the Gemara that deal with the afterlife, the next world, and he synthesizes them in a book called Shara Gemul. <coughs> it is remarkable. It is really a remarkable and very necessary thing to learn. And he talks about what Gan Eden is and the place of Malachim. And he says, when we, as regular human beings, reach the level of Gan Eden, that's when we reach the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. Meaning, when we lose our body awareness, our body consciousness, that's when we can be on a communing level with Moshe Rabbeinu. That's just to get a sense of how high and how distinct Moshe Rabbeinu was living on this earth at that point in time. So here, here we go. Let's, uh, let, let, let's, uh, let, let, let's, let's think about this from the following, the following perspective. I'm going to start just uh, for a moment in source, in source 6, which gives a, a, a great exp- explanation of this. The Gemara expresses in the following. It says, Kedetanias, Yenivama, Semem Tesam, Abayis, Kola Nevi'im, Nistaklu Ba'aspaklari Ha'she'eno Mi'ira, Moshe Rabbeinu Nistakel Ba'aspaklari Mi'ira. The Gemara uses the following terms to describe it. Moshe Rabbeinu looked through a clear Aspaklari, a clear prism, and the other Nevi'im looked through a unclear prism. Okay, that's the way that the Gemara describes this phenomenon. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean that he, there, was this, there was this prism, this unclear prism or, or clear prism? The way it's expressed in the, Gemara, in the Torah later on, which is actually this coming week's parasha in Matos, Moses said to the heads of the tribes, this is the matter that God commanded. Rashi explains it. Moshe would use the expression of this is what God said. And other Nevi'im also use a similar terminology of such said God. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't just say, generally, 
the, you know, such said God, he said, Zadavar. Specifically this, meaning Moshe Rabbeinu could point to it. This is how we see it expressed in the Mepharshim in the Gemara, what's called the Asmakal Era, and the Mepharshim in the expression of Zadavar. Zad means this, which means you can actually point to it. Okay, so Moshe Rabbeinu had more of a distinct access to it. So now, what does this mean? How, how do we understand this? One way of understanding is what the Rabbeinu Bechayir says. Rabbeinu Bechayir says an interesting thing. What, what is going on over here in Source 9? He says, Anir betam adavar, ki rotsa laham shil nevoas moshe shanavim nemish mistakel b'mareh. He says, you know what it's like? It's like looking into a mirror. Now, by the way, we're very fortunate, you know, everywhere we go in our houses, there's mirrors everywhere. And we have these beautiful mirrors which are glass and like a silver backing. In the old days, what was a mirror? A mirror was polished, some sort of polished metal. Have you ever been to a museum and you're looking into into those, uh, into like an old mirror, like a real old mirror where it's like po- some sort of polished metal. And there's, you know, there's little scratches and there's, you know, so it's not, it's, it's distortion. And if it's even slightly, if it's even slightly bent, it already, you know, you already see the distortions as you're looking at yourself. And these were, you know, the richest people had access to that. That's kind of like, you know, what a mirror was. So he says the following. He explains it. It was like he was looking in a semi-opaque lens. Which means to say, what was he really seeing? What was he really seeing? As much as he's seeing God, he's seeing it through the reflection of himself. Okay, so the Navi is looking through a semi-opaque lens. And that opa- the, the opaqueness is reflecting him. So as much as he's seeing an image of God, he's also seeing that image of God through the reflection of self. It's like, you know, the kit when you have... The door open at just an angle, and it's sort of a semi-opaque kind of reflection. That's what's happening over here, says the says the 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 Mare means like a mirror, okay? So therefore, Kenyan shekasu biyad neviem adame. Aval Moshe Rabenu ala shalom itoich shos and nevuas el yana kulam lahayar roya mi oisan edimiyanus klum ela mare amitis krov ela seichel. So Moshe Rabenu, the reflection was less, the opaqueness was less. So when he's seeing through it, he's seeing more of the God and less of the self. So what is, what is, what is the actual, we'll call it, the, 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 the breakage in communication with other Nevi? And what is, now remember, they've reached a very high level. They've worked the entire life getting there, as we talked about last week. But what, what, is the, what is the difference? The difference is the sense of self. self. The sense of self is the mirror in between, says the Rebbein Bechai. The way the Ramam expresses it slightly differently is the following. This, this is a very important um, section in the Rambam, in Shemone Prakim, he says the following. So a Navi can only reach Nevoah when he, when he reaches all intellectual levels and most of the levels of, we'll call it self-growth and, and, uh, and perfection. What is the interesting word in this sentence? What is interesting about what the Ramam has just told us? What, what's, what seems to fall short here? The Ramam says, how do you get to Nevoah? You need to have? Prerequisite is? Okay, you need to have lots of brains. What we'll call a refinement of brains and? Strength and money. Okay, well, actually when he talks about the Malos Amidos, 
Malice and minus means to say that we'll call it your, your characteristics which you've developed. But what level do you need? Rive. The Rambam says, you need to be mostly there, right? When it comes to intellectual pro, uh, pro, uh, prowess, you need to be all the way. When it comes to character and self-refinement, you need to be most of the way. Isn't that interesting? That's what the Ram says is on the resume of a Navi. He's, exp- he's going to explain himself. Who am Ron? And a nevuah, a nevuah shore el al chacham v'gibor v'ashir has to the the nevuah comes to a person who's wise, who is strong. That means to say self-containment, and ashir that means to say a person who's not dependent on others for his decision rendering. Amnam chacham who kol el amalas asichrias belislavik v'ashir umalas amidos. He says that um, when it talks about chachma, it refers to all your intellectual. Um, Aspects when it comes to Ashir, it's referring to um, the, your level in Midas, interestingly enough. Now he explains himself. In case you missed the word Rove, he says, You know what? You don't need to have all the fine characteristics. That, that means to say you're not lacking anything. That gap between most and all is the area that all other Nevi'im live in. You understand? That's where they live. That little in-between, that minute difference between full character development or perfection is, where, is the area where other Nevi'im live and that's, their, that's what's in-between them and God. What does that mean? Um, if a person has um, um, two or three unbalanced middos, by the way, for those who read Rambam, Mumutsai, of course, means balanced in the sense he always talks about, the Aristotelian golden mean. Right? So, a person, you know, like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the spectrum of giving and stinginess. You have to have, you have to have a you have to have a, a mean. You can't be too, too, too giving. You can't be too stingy. So Ram will call that a mean. I'm a means to say a person perfected themselves as the exact right. He's the right middle of the road. So a person has, let's say, two or three which haven't been perfected in the middle of the road. That means to say that his vision of God is clouded by those two levels where they have, he hasn't reached that perfection. So then he says, but Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have a single, a single barrier. Moshe was completely there, and that's why he asks Harenias Kuadecha, and he asks Hashem. And, um, and Hashem says that you're the only human being who's got this far, but I can't let you as a living being still see that far. That's, that's what the Ram says. In fact, the Ram goes on in between over here, and he says, that's why he talks about Shmuel Anavi and Yaakov, and he goes specifically through their mythos, and he says, this is the Chisaron of Yaakov, this is the Chisaron of Shmuel, and he explains all the Chisarons, because those areas... Which, you know, to us, you know what I'm saying, you know, we, we've got a long ladder to climb before we get anywhere close to, to, to the Nevi'im. But nonetheless, there's those little idiosyncrasies, the Ramo says, is in fact the breakage in the communication, or what we'll call the Mechitza of the Asperklarish enemy era. Okay, it's their, their self-perfection, which is lacking somewhat, very, very subtly, which is what, what actually acts as the barrier. That's what the Ramo describes. So as opposed to the the where the, the it's a sense of self Right, as opposed to obliteration of a sense of self, the Rambam says it's a sense of lack of self-perfection, which isn't a necessary prerequisite for nevuah itself. This is what the Rambam says. The Rabbeinu Bachaya says, very fascinating. So now, let's uh, let's take this to the to the next level. The 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 ruach hachaim, Rav Chaim Velozhna expresses in the following way. He says the following: the Gemara, uh, the the Rambam's Rabbah says in Shmuel's Rabbah, Perik Beis Vayomer Moshe Moshe. So for all those Vali Kriya out there, 
You will know that when you read the Torah, that when you read, let's say by the Akedah, by Yomer, Avraham, there's a little break. Avraham, when God calls to Avraham, the way we read the Torah, the tradition is, you make a short break between the two names of Avraham. When it says Shmuel, Shmuel, when you glain that, there's a small break between the two names of Shmuel. When you lane Yaakov, Yaakov, there's a small break. The only person that we read when you're doing a, a Kriya Satara and there's no break between the two names is Moshe, 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 Moshe. Why? So says the Nefesh the way he explains it beautifully, is that when you have a person over here, when you talk about the two names of a person, we're referring to their, we'll call it their, their uh, Neshama, they're the highest part of their being and the lowest part of their being. When it comes to other people, even great Nevi'im and patriarchs, there's a difference, there's a gap between how they are expressed on high and how's that, how they are if manifest below. Therefore, there's a hefsek. We say a little break between them because their body awareness, the, the, how they are manifest in this world, is, not, is distinct. It's not the same as how they are, appear up high, except for one individual, and that is Moshe. I mean, to say that he was so, the manifestation of Moshe was so out of this worldly that therefore we could say that he was Moshe, Moshe, no breaks. That's where the, that's where the Nevesh Chaim expresses it. Um, and um, similarly, in another way, this is the Gemara says it is Amar Rav Avi Tevir Rav Yochanan, Godul Shneima Be Moshe, Me'avaron Yosemi Mas Shneima Be Avraham, Ve'ilu De'ilu Be Avraham Ksev Anochi Alfar Ve'efer, Ve'ilu Be Moshe Rabbeinu Be Avraham Ksev Nachnuma. Moshe Avraham says, God, I'm I'm ashes, I'm dust, I'm nothing. Moshe, what does Moshe Rabbeinu say? I'm nothing. Now ashes and dust is still something. something. You see, that's, that's the, way, the way this is couching this. You know, Avram had worked on his life the entire time. All that was left in character refinement was dust and ashes. That was the only gap between him and perfection. But that's still something. <coughs> We're nothing. There's nothing left. You know, it's about the, it reminds me of the story about the fellow who comes into, he comes into Vardok and he's uh, doubling the back of the base medrash. And there he sees the, the, the Rosh Hashivah who's on the front, the, 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 the Mizrach Vant, and he's davening, and he's, and he, and, and he's clapping his chest, and he's like, you know, I'm a, a Ephes, I'm a nothing, I'm a, uh, and, and then he sees the Mashkiach on the other side of the Aaron, the, the Mashkiach is, is talking, uh, talking about Ephes, Toyu, Vavoyu, Afar, Vaefer. He thinks, like, okay, hey, this is what you do in this, in this, uh, in this, in this Makom, so he starts, you know, he starts, he starts beating his chest, I'm a nothing, I'm, I'm a worm, I'm a tolas, you know, I'm, I'm really a nothingness. And then one of the, one of the, the Shobachram in the back of the base marriage turns to the other one and says, look who came in and after five minutes starts calling himself a nothing. <laughs> you know, you have to, you know, there's, there's perspective, you know. You have to work up to being a nothing. Right, so, the, so what, the Gemara, what the Gemara over here is saying is, is that Avram Avinu still had something of a personality. There was still a hefsek in his name when it came to his expression. Moshe Rabbeinu, zil, nothing. There was, there, there was nothing left. The only thing that was left was the fact that he was still alive. Right, I mean, the way the Gemara in the Dharma says it, that there was, there was 49 Sharibina. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted access to the 50th, 50th Sharibina. He couldn't, as a living being in this world, access that. That's the only thing that was holding him back. From what we call it, real communion with the divine. The voice stands for nun boy upon his death. He Very good. Okay, so good. So I mean, when he died, he actually accessed he accessed the fiftieth, which is where where he, which is what his life was holding him back. All, all very beautiful. Let's let's take it one step further. We see this as as um, um, expressed in, in the following cases. This means to say that the prophecy of a regular prophet is influenced by their life. There's something there now. That doesn't mean to say that we can now start saying, well, 
you know, I'm sure it was meaningless, or, well, you know, they obviously weren't seeing the truth. God intended, when speaking to regular Nevi'im, that the prophecy that they would be seeing would be through their personality, and therefore that was the message necessary for the generation. Very important. So example being, um, is, um, is, is the following. Um, actually, you know what, before doing, before doing this part, I want to I actually, uh, just one last, one last idea, which will just, just as a very, very brief idea, and then we'll move on. Um, when it comes to this, is, um, actually one second, yeah, let's, let's do this first, then we'll come back to this. Is, um, is, is um, when, when trying to understand this, how this applies throughout the ages, there is a, is a very, very interesting debate, which is to be found in the Abarbanel, the Malbim. Now you should realize that the Malbim looks up to Abarbanel. The Abarbanel lived in the 14 to 1500s, and the Malbim lived many years later, the Malbim lived in Kiev. In, 18, in the 1800s, right? So there's a 300-year gap. But nonetheless, the Malbim really looks up, you should hear the words he says in adoration of the Abarbanel. He looks to him as a great teacher. But there's an interesting debate where he argues very vociferously against the Abarbanel on a particular point. This is to be found in both of their introductions to Sefer Yirmiya. What happens? So the Abarbanel says, when looking at Sefer Yirmiya, he says, look, if I look at the Sefer Yirmiya, you see that... Um, that what happens is, is that um, you'll, you'll see there's a lot of misspelled words, a lot of tenses which are out of sync. And the uh, Barbanel says, well, that's because, ultimately, we know that Yirmiyahu started being a prophet as a young man, and so therefore he probably wasn't fully versed in the Hebrew language, and so therefore that's why you'll see there are going to be mistakes in his nevoa, in the way he expresses it in the Hebrew language. Okay, so take a look at the in source 16 just for a quick moment. He says, mm-hmm. So the Hasar is referring to the Barbanel. The Malbim says that the Barbanel now uh, analyzed the Navu of Yermia from his three, he's got three uh, criteria. He says, mishpata, and this is how he, this is what his verdict was. The first level, which is his perspective of God, was he had a very high level. So he says, Yermia was one of the closest to Nemoshe. Ulam, he says, but referring to how he expressed that the vehicles of expression, they were lower than other Nevi'im. Maybe because he didn't have the full articulation of language. Until you have psukim which are lacking, lacking words. He sometimes replaces the word el instead of al. Sometimes male instead of female. There's a lot of mixing up in his, in his grammar, says the Barbanel. Says the Barbanel. He started off as a young man. He wasn't yet proficient in articulation, in language. That's why there's many kriyuksivs, because there's a lot of discrepancies. That's the way the Barbanel says. Meaning, what happens? Here you have a Navi, Yermia. Yermia was in his Hasaga, in his connection to the divine, was almost on the tier of Moshe, but in his expression was lower. And therefore, his expression therefore comes out a little muddled. That's the way the, the, the Barbanel says it. Says the Malbim, 
Kvoidai b'mkoyma munach. You know, with all due respect, says the Malbim, I don't believe this at all because every word of every Navi was given exactly as it should have been to that Navi. And the Malbim takes them to great task and talks about how, in the end of the day, every single word, every single letter was as it was intended uh, to that specific Navi. This, this debate, we're not going to go into do it inside right now, but this is really worthwhile. If anybody has a chance to learn the introduction of the Malbim, to say for Yirmiyah, this is where this is found, and he goes into much greater depth as to this. Where does this come from? This is all stemming from how much of the personality of the Navi actually influences the Navi itself. Now, they may, this may actually be just an argument, argument in semantics, because at the end of the day, God wanted Yirmiyah to get such nevoas, right? So, according to the Malbim, Hashem is in-placing in his mouth nevoas which have, we'll call it in our grammar, in today's anachronistic grammar, discrepancies. But nonetheless, that may have been exactly what Hashem wanted the Navi to have. I, once, I was once in class with Rabbi Chaim Angel, and somebody said, does this mean to say that Hashem changed the nevoah he gave to the Navi depending on who he was? Or does it mean that, no, God gave him the nevoah and the Navi interpreted it based on his personality, and that's how it expresses itself today. And his answer was yes and yes. Meaning, the ultimate outcome is the same, whether you hold like that Barbanel or the Malbim. Because God wanted that message to be delivered, whether in which way he gave it specifically that way, or it was interpreted that way. Let's take the, let's try to understand this, this, this fully. Here's a great example of this. Yirmiyah was not a prophet alone. There were many prophets at his time. One famous one is, who lived at the same time? Chulda. Happens to be that there was a woman prophetess, her name was Chulda, one of the seven Nevi'ahs who lived at the same time as Yirmiyah. Now, let's, let's do a, a basic historical recap. Basically, Rishon was, was decreed to be destroyed because of what? What was the, what was the breaking straw? That, that, that broke the back of the first base of Mikdash was a person called Menashe. Menashe was the son of Chizkiah Melech. Menashe was a very bad king. The Tanakh says in no uncertain terms, really bad. So now, what happens is, um, I sound like Trump, right? <laughs> um, so, um, so what happens is, is, is that in the end of the day, the Nevoah, what happens is, is that Menashe brings in Avodah He introduces Salamim into the Heichel. He kills his grandfather, Yeshayahu. Does terrible things. Save Melachim says, the reason that the Beis Amidosh is slated for destruction is because of Menashe. Happens to be it wasn't destroyed in his generation. There was a number of generations waiting. So what happens is, Yoshiyahu HaMelech, one of the, grand, the grandsons of, grandchildren of, of Menashe becomes king, is completely unversed in Torah because of the, the decrepit nature of the land, of, of what was going on in Israel, discovers a Torah, Chilkiyo Akoin finds a Torah, he reads this Torah, he is so transformed by reading this Torah, he says we're going to have a spiritual revolution about the, in, in the whole of Israel, destroys all the idols, there's a tremendous amount of reform, and he says, can we reverse the prophecy? That's the question he has. So what does he do? He sends a delegation to the prophet. Can we reverse the destruction? Where does he go? He goes to Chulda. Yirmiyahu was living at the time of Yoshiyahu. Yirmiyahu started prophesizing in the 13th year of Yoshiyahu before he even had the spiritual reform. What's going on? Why didn't he go to Yirmiyahu Navi? Says the Gemara in Megillah, in Source 15. Why did he send to her? Why not to Yirmiyahu? Because women are merciful. What does the Gemara mean? The Gemara is saying that because Chulda was a woman who was more merciful, that means to say, her interpretation of the same nevuah would have been more merciful. They stood a greater chance in it. They stood a greater chance in understanding this. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean to say that God's decree was in flux? And the answer is, yes, it was in flux until it was interpreted. 
Because just like a dream, the Gemara says that the, the, in Brachos, that a dream is achar ha-peh. Kol achalomos achar ha-peh. A dream is in flux until interpreted. And the Gemara goes to tell you about Rav and Abaye, and they were both into a fellow called Be'a Barhedia, and Barhedia was paid well by one of them and interpreted them well for one of them and badly for the other one, and that such was. <coughs> a chalom is one in sixtieth of Nevoah. Nevoah also is in flux, depending on who interprets it. And says the Gemara, they went to the more Rahmani of the two prophets at the time because they were seeking a prophecy which would be crystallized in a way through her Rachmanus more than Yirmiyo. That's what, that, that's what it says. What does that mean? That means to say that Hashem gives a little bit of gray area dependent on the level of the person. This was who she was and God wanted her to come through her. But they were able to choose between the two Nevi'im as to how it would express itself. That's how far it goes. Would the ultimate um, result have been different? Yes. Meaning to say, ultimately speaking, yes. God gave a little bit of, of we'll call it, flux. And her interpretation crystallized that that because they were into the into poil in this particular way. Yes, that's how that's how far it goes. Meaning her personality played enough of a role that that's that, that's why they were, they went to her. exactly that that which is remarkable. Okay, so now. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Okay. You're right. You're right. So it happens to be this is the way I'm going with this, and the reason I'm going with this is because we're actually looking now into the the words of the Mariel Diskin. The Mariel Diskin, Rabbi Yeshua Diskin, who moved from Lvov, Breslatovsk, to, to the Old City, began the role of the Old City. So he, he actually has a very beautiful essay at the end of his Shalas and Shuvas, the Ksavim, which is interpreted, if you have a chance, in the Orgadalio, in this parsha over here, Orgadalio Shor, in the most beautiful way. And this is how we close, with the following words. If all of this is true, then we've met yesterday a very interesting person. His name was Bilab. Now, let's, let, let's do a quick analysis. Was Bilam, uh, how, in, in terms of ref, refinement of personality, how refined was he? The answer is, he's a pretty, pretty, his ratings were not so high. How do we know that? First of all, we see the way he acts, but number two, Pirkei Avos tells us, there's certain things that describe Bilam in, 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 in the fifth Pirkei of Pirkei Avos, Mishnah Beis, which are, you know, you know, pretty humbling if that was said about you. You know, so, so then at the same time as he's being this very, very decrepit person, what was going on over here? The Gemara tells us, for loikom be Yisrael there's never going to be among Israel a Navi like Moshe, but in the Umar Sa'ilam there will be. There will be another person who has Asperkarim era, who has, we'll call it, that incandescent, that clear prism like Moshe. And who's that? Bilam. And it just doesn't fit together. How can there be a pure communication with an individual who's got a lot of baggage in the middle. He's, it's not Afar Vaever over there. There's a lot of baggage. So what's going on over here? Says, <laughs> says the Maral Diskin in the most remarkable swing around. This, I think, will change the way we ever understand Pasha's Bilam. He says the following. Bilam was a very clever fellow. And he had Nevoah from Hashem. And he was now called by, or he was hired by Moab and Midian. And as Jonah pointed out, he was not on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. He had to wait until night time. He was obviously a very powerful man, but he had to wait until night time for his new voice. He said the following, I am going to take the word of God and I'm going to filter it through my decrepit prism. I'm going to take whatever God says to me and I'm going to use my broken personality 
And he used that as the prism to project the word of God to Israel. And you know what happens when you take beautiful light and you shine it through something terrible and disgusting? You know what comes out on the other end? Something terrible and disgusting. What was Bilam doing? His game was very simple. He said, my personality is exactly what is necessary in order to create the distraction for which I was hired. If I simply use my prism, that will project or reflect the prophecy of God in such a destructive manner that will create the curses necessary to undermine Israel. That's exactly what he did. What was God's only alternative, ultimately? God said, you know what? I'm not going to use your personality. God says, you know what I'm going to do? Says Hashem, I'm going to take a nevuah and I'm going to force it through you in a way where there is no prism. I'm going to give you nevuah like Moshe Rabbeinu experienced it, where nothing was in the way. Why? Because if we are allowed it to go through the regular journey through the personality of the Navi, it's filtered. then the filter is too dangerous. What happens? Hashem took Bilam and he forced through him an Asperkarish Shemeira. He forced through him a clear prism in a way that Bilam's personality did not have any effect. That was the only thing Hashem could do to avoid and avert the danger that Bilam presented because of his personality. And that's why this explains one last thing which is very fascinating that Mariel Diskin says. And that is, the Gomorrah says in um, Basra, Yudalad Omobeis, let's see if I, where, where I put it, I can't find it right now. The Gomorrah in Basra says, um, what was that? Source 5. The Gomorrah says in Baba Basra, Moshe Kosov Sifro, Yaparshus Bilam V'yov. When attributing him the authorship of all the books in the Torah, or um, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu Kosov Sifroi, his book, what's the book of Moses? That's the Pentateuch, folks. And Eov, very interesting why the connection is, and Sefer Bilam. Bilam is Parshish Balak, you know, so it's like, it's like you know, not, not everybody agrees with that. So like that, that, you know, that, that should be part of Sifroi, right? Meaning we read Parshish Balak yesterday, it was part of the book of Moses. Why is the Gomorrah outline, um, specifically underlining Sefer Bilam that Moshe also wrote? Because it was the one other area in the Torah which was also written with Asper Klarimi era, but was not written by him. It was the words of God directly through Bilam. Moshe Rabbeinu simply copied those words and put them in because it was through the same level of incandescent interpretation, which was without any human filter. And that's what we have over here. Did Bilam realize he didn't have his filter because he keeps repeating everything yes. that God tells me I have to say? Yes, yeah, so he obviously realizes that he's somehow hooked, but he still tries to sneak around the corner so that he can get Nevoa, so to speak, without God sort of forcing it down his throat. That, that, that's what he seems to be doing and he's playing this game. Or otherwise, what kind of game is he at? It sounds like he's trying to use that iron horror to be the channel of his perspective of Israel. This, this, this itself is uh, hopefully just a helpful way of thinking first about Nevoah. And as you can see, this, this unpacks a lot. There's a lot now in our reading of Nevoah and Novi, as, which, will, which will be impacted by our, um, our reading of this and also our appreciation of Torah. Thank you very much, Rabbi Sai, especially on a day where we have no coffee. <laughs>